Today, we are all the way back and we kick it all off with a return to our comic book feud series. We have a heavyweight matchup between two industry icons. One is a superstar of the 80s. The other is a megastar of the 90s. John Byrne redefined the X-Men in the 80s and Todd McFarlane took Spider-Man to all new heights in the 90s, eclipsing sales records by John Byrne along the way. What happens when relevance fades? When the spotlight leaves for another? Does it, does it inspire resentment and spite as clearly as is the case in, in all that we discussed today? It's a common occurrence in many fields and today we tackle how it rocked the world of comic books on an all-new Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob in Observations. First off, let me just say, Happy New Year. We are in 2023. We made it all the way through 2022. I hope your 2022 was fantastic. I hope it was great. I hope your holidays were amazing. And here we are in a brand new year. It's very exciting. And I am so excited that you are here to share it with me and along for the ride on observations and gearing up for another season's season's worth of, of, of shows that I am so excited to bring to you. I have, uh, been been cracking the books, researching as best I can to uh, to, to to give you new topics, new approaches, no retreads, and to continue to just give you information, share history uh, that that you may or may not have been exposed to or remember or know of in the first place. I love comics. One th- one thing you have to know about me, Rob Liefeld. I love comics. I love them just shy of the love I have for my family. Um, that they are constant in my life. I am. I am inside of a comic book every day. I am making a comic book every day. I. I am surrounded by them, in trade paperbacks, in hardcovers, in deluxe editions, in omnibuses, in absolute editions. All the different formats that all the different publishers have been so keen to give all of us. And I have been consuming them since I was seven years old. And I can keenly remember the spinner racks that I pulled the comic books off. And, and and exposed me to this world uh, of Marvel and DC heroes in 1974, taking it all the way back. Yes, if that seems like a long long ago, it was long ago. It was absolutely long ago. I was uh, seven years old, and it took me on a journey that gave me a career. And a, and 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 then you know, three years ago, I started this podcast. Yes, as we we are months from going from completing three years and heading into a fourth year. Uh, you know, the, the, the sharing comics, sharing my passion, and not only that, watching what comics has transformed. I mentioned this at the top of every show just because I simply just can't get over the fact that, that, that comic books have become the dominion of popular culture, the, the kings of popular culture, really. I mean, this last year was dominated by more non-comic book fare, and I was so relieved to see it because I, I'm not... You know, when it comes to cinema and, and films and movies and television, I have interests that go outside of comics. To me, the 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 source of the superhero obsession with me will always be comic books. But again, I have family members that say, Dad, we're not into comics, but we love comic book heroes just as much as you. We just experience them through movies. And I, I take, them, take them at their word. I've raised them. I've paid for those tickets. I've thrown those parties. I've bought that merchandise. I know, again, in the, in, in the words of my oldest son, uh, who told me when he was 16, Dad, I'm I'm a Marvel Comics film fan, okay? 
um, like, like, hey man, I'm not like you. <laughs> and uh, and I assure you, we are not alike, but he completely uh, consumes all of the cinematic offerings. And I, you know, I, I won't give you uh, a conversation that I stumbled into over Christmas with my nephews, three nephews, my sons and cousins, and uh, just th- their evaluation of the current comic book movie scene. That's, that's probably for another podcast, another episode. But I mean, they're, th- it's the top of, of you know, their priorities to discuss amongst each other because it's something that they all share. And, and when I'm talking about my nephews, I'm going to go nine, I'm going to go 13, uh, I'm going to go uh, 20, and then, and, and then you've got uh, cousins at, at 18, and then my, my, my boys who are at 20 and 22 currently. So, so you're really crossing the spectrum, and I'm just amazed at the amount of uh, lip service, attention, money. Uh, that is that is spent on these movies. I mean, you know, I, I go and I see the big holiday film Avatar. Okay, not really here to talk about Avatar. What I'm telling you about is the movies that I saw uh, beforehand. I don't know what was going on with with the Irvine Spectrum, what what deal that they had cut with the studios, but we really only got we really only got the Mission Impossible big nine minute behind the scenes footage that leads into a brief trailer showing just how daring and amazing you know our last movie star Tom Cruise is. Uh, but then we got Ant Man and we got Guardians of the Galaxy, and those were our two. Uh, that rolled with, ahead of the, you know, Disney Avatar. So Disney made sure that outside of the Paramount uh, trailer, that all we got was two upcoming Marvel offerings that are coming to us in February and coming to us in May. So, I mean, really coming, barreling towards us as fast as we can possibly imagine. And, you know, I, I'm inter- I'm entertained by the Ant-Man trailer. I'm entertained by the Guardians trailer. It'll be interesting to see where they take us as this new phase of Marvel, uh, uh, you know, begins. And, uh, you know, all, all the fans are excited about interacting with this. And I think people have got a lot of hopes and dreams pinned on maybe some some better quality uh, superhero movies than they, than they got in, in recent times, just based on the conversations that you can have on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or see on TikTok or, or again, stumble into my living room with my nephews, my cousins and, and my sons. And, and again, I'm just amazed. You know, you're, you're looking at Paul Rudd, who's got a third Ant-Man movie, who's been in multiple Avengers movies, who, you know, I, I saw him in, in all manner of comedies, uh, you know, in, in my 20s and 30s. And now he has his most reliable role as a superhero, as, as so many of them do. These superhero movies, the comic books that I pulled off the racks have become big budget superhero movies. I mean, you know, I sit there and, and, my, and my kids are like, you know, why, why aren't you more into the Pattinson Batman? And I said, well, I'm just a little Batman worn out. I mean, in the last uh, 30 years, since, since the sequel to Batman, I can just go 30 years, 1992, summer 1992 uh, of, of Batman Returns. It's Michael Keaton. Then, you know, we got, uh, we got Val Kilmer. Then we got George Clooney. Then we got Christian Bale. Then we got Ben Affleck. Now we have Robert Pattinson. That's a lot. In 30 years, I've had six Batmans, okay? It looks like we're going to have another Superman. All this stuff is, is, is topics for another time. But, but believe you me, these big roles, for the most part, are, are coveted by these actors of this period, of this generation, because they are reliable. They are guaranteed box office, you know, proven hits. I, I looked today at, at a, uh, you know, uh, forecast of what's coming in 2023 and it said not going to be good for adult minded fair you know the cinema is going to be a scary place for adult minded fair it is a place for comic book movies and sci-fi spectacles i mean and again 
just 20 years ago, that wasn't the case, as you all know. And 20 years ago, we were still in the Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, really kind of this this magic fantasy realm and, 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 and just starting the roller coaster ride of like the Transformers films that were coming. Uh, it was it was toys and best-selling novel adaptations of classics. And it was the age of J.K. Rowling and the reemergence of the dominance of J.R.R. Tolkien's, you know, imagination. And now it is completely comic books. And, and, and Warner Brothers is all about writing the ship in regards to their comic book universe. Again, something to talk about at a future date. I just want to thank you again for taking this ride with me on Rob's Revations. I, I uh, am just so uh, really blessed by your listening and, and, and I'm so uh, just, uh, you know, enthused. I'm enthused and energized when you guys give me all the feedback in, in, in these three weeks that, that, that I took off. Uh, you know, so many of you guys reached out and, 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 and informed me how, how, how you were listening to old episodes and you were looking forward to the new stuff. Look, our mission statement here at Robservations hasn't changed. The mission statement first, foremost, always is to inform. I was really starting with the first season and going forward was walking you through my own experience and how the comic book industry expanded, got bigger, which it did. As I was a kid, I was, and then I became part of it as a professional. And here's a side note. Some of you, and when I say some of you, one one person, but you know, you figure you get one. I know back at the networks, uh, uh, in, in the seventies and eighties, it was said that if they got one letter, they counted it like worth a thousand opinions. So I get one guy who goes, you know, I, I can't stand when you talk about your own career. Well, that would be like Steven Spielberg having a movie podcast and not talking about movies that he made. I have made comic books. Some of them have been bestsellers, broken records. Of course, I'm going to weigh in. I have made comics, produced comics, written, drawn, created. And as I have come so fondly to say, because I did actually go and, and interface with the printing of the comics at, at one period in the early uh, 2000s. So, so I have been all around this onion, man. I have unpeeled this comic book onion as many times as you can, you know, unpeel it like Shrek said, it's or donkey telling Shrek, it's layers, it's layers. The onion is layers. And uh, you got to keep unpeeling it. So we're going to keep unpeeling the onion. I'm going to walk you through some of my experiences as both a fan and both a pro and the things that I've seen and heard and stuff that you, you, I've just been so shocked. Like I said, the real uh, awakening for me a couple seasons, maybe a year ago was when I shared with you guys the big Philadelphia 1993 debate between Peter David and Todd McFarlane. And I had pushed off doing it because I said, "Eh, everybody knows about this. This was such a big deal at the time that everybody knew about it, but you didn't. So many of you were like, I've never heard of this before. So, so I was like, wow, some of the stuff that I'm taking for granted, I should share with you. Well, the Peter David Todd McFarlane is a great precursor to what is on the menu as we continue to inform you, uh, as, as we really knock on the door of what we're going to open the year with, which is comic book feuds, comic book rivalries. And I get to that, get back to that in a minute. But again, three years we've been doing this show, just a few months shy of three years. And I'm going to tell you right now. I have been so fortunate that we have not, at any point in time, been challenged on the facts and the receipts that we have uh, that we have given you guys. And uh, and again, I am you know uh, I, I am thrilled to uh, to have, have have shared some of this stuff with you guys. And and you know the stuff that I give to you, I read to you quotes. I share with you the dates of the magazines, the reporting, um, a lot of the, these interviews with these people, they change over time. I mean, would you believe that Todd McFarlane in 1992 said, I can't stand variants. I don't want them. I think they do a disservice. I shared this with you guys. 
uh, on on a uh, episode not too long ago where where Todd was talking to the Comics Journal and he said I I am against I am opposed to variants I think they do the reader the collector the retailer a disservice and then he went on to put you know 30 40 variants and made one in 1000 variants and all sorts so so times change minds change opinions change positions change and uh so we're going to keep giving you this because here's my warning to you here's the one warning i have to you at that about the 11 minute mark of our first episode of 2023 is there is a whole lot of misinformation being spread out there there is a ton People are not doing any manner of research whatsoever. They're just blurting things out. They don't Google. They don't investigate. A guy on Twitter the other day said, man, you're missing this George Perez Batman storyline, man. How could you do this? And he started to describe it. And I'm I'm waiting for him to finish. And I said, I, I don't need to research that. I know this like as part of just my natural history going back 33 years. I said, George Perez did not draw that. He did four covers for that storyline. He did not draw that story. This guy's like, how can you miss out on this Batman story? You know, uh, that, 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 that redefined Jason Todd, you know, that, 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 that George Perez drew. And I'm like, whoa, buddy. And then he came back and he said, I, I, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. But he cleared his throat and he told me that I had missed something when in fact I had not. And this is happening with great regularity challenge these things you're being said that that are being said to you challenge that you know again i've shared with you guys when people go oh marvel went bankrupt because they their books didn't sell that is an absolute lie we've covered that here marvel's comics were doing great they were still the top sellers they were they were profitable the publishing was great again they went bankrupt because the company bought too many other companies that were losing money and it buried them in debt and they had to go into bankruptcy to get out of it and marvel was in bankruptcy not because of their comic sales, but I have met people who have said this. And there's just, there's a comfortability with just being lazy with facts and with ideas and with concepts and especially sales figures and happenings. And it's ridiculous. And we're going to continue to battle that with with our actual information. And, and I'm going to share some of that with you again today because we are doing some big, big, big comic book feuds. And here's the deal. The comic book feud that we are kicking off today with is against two titans of the comics industry and you're going to see it's kind of a one-sided feud one guy was clearly obsessed with the other guy and and maybe possibly still is but when i came across this which i'll be surprised if if many of you have seen this but i mean i'm going to hold it in my hands this giant kind of i mean it's it's an actual editorial it's a rant that 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 uh that one comic book prominent comic book creator went on against another and it was there was just no basis for it it was just um a an example of how the changing of the guard was so difficult and 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 to to cover the changing of the guard i think uh i i think the easiest thing to do is is to always kind of pivot for me uh for me it it's pivot to sports and and because i think this is uh this is the easiest way this is the easiest way to cover this is uh and, and literally, this goes back to if, if some of you guys have kids in Little League or you have them in, in your Pop Warner football or, 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 or your flag football leagues, um, th- th- this, this happens in an early age. But rivalries can, can get really ugly, but they, can, they, they exist in almost everything we do. You may have a rivalry you know, at your job right now. Um, you may have a rivalry to, to 
finish that project better than your, you know, one of your fellow workers so that you get the promotion. In sports, it's quarterbacks, it's point guards, it's centers. Okay. Like all season long, let's, 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 let's go to like the biggest American sport. The biggest sport in the United States is, is the NFL, the National Football League. And, uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, was, became the starting quarterback of Green Bay in much the same way that we're going to discuss here. He didn't want to ride the pine anymore. They graft, drafted him. He thought he deserved his shot. And, and Brett Favre had to go. Brett Favre, who had been this storied franchise for the Green Bay Packers, won a Super Bowl. He had to go. So the pressure was on. They traded him. Aaron Rodgers stepped in. He won a Super Bowl. And then it's been, you know, a while. Since they've tasted that level of championship, they've gotten close. Certainly Aaron Rodgers has had MVP seasons and has been um, uh, just an exemplary uh, you know, athlete as far as like if he was your quarterback for your team, you'd be like, this guy's killing it. But we want to win now all the time. And so the expectation is to win now all the time or be put you know, on the cooker and get roasted. And certainly Aaron Rodgers had, has had his share of roasting now. Now the, the, the Packers are, you know, as we enter this new year, they're they're attempting to find a way to 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 get into the playoff picture, and they have to keep you know just all all manner of stuff has to work out for them. But they drafted a quarterback a couple of years ago. His name's Jordan Love. We've been hearing complaints. He wants to start now. He's he's to Aaron Rodgers what Aaron was to Brett Favre. He wants his time. He doesn't want to wait another couple of years until he gets his snaps. This happened in San Francisco, you know. In the late '80s, Joe Montana, who had won multiple four Super Bowls for the Super, you know, for the San Francisco 49ers. I know I'm a Rams fan. I was on the receiving end of that. It hurt. But then Steve Young, come on, we got to go to the Steve Young era. We got to transition. Well, Joe Montana, just like Brett Favre, they didn't want to go anywhere. Brett went to Minnesota and and had a spectacular season with the Vikings back then. Joe Montana went to Kansas City and 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 made them ultra competitive. But Steve Young then goes on and won his three Super Bowls. He won his fair share. And so, you know, Joe Montana will always get to say, you know, I have one, I have one more. But again, this, this rivalry, again, point guards, we see it all the time. And the Lakers, my team, you know, has been struggling, especially last year with, you know, trying to convince a, 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 a former, you know, superstar in Russell Westbrook to come off the bench. But the former coach couldn't do it. Maybe it was the reason that management parted ways. They got a new coach, Darvin Ham. He convinced him, hey, Russ, become the sixth man of the year. You know, transform the way everyone looks at you. And it's working. But it took an entire season and a coach getting fired. Rivalries, the changing of the guard, being the man, get, getting, you know, getting the, 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 the pole position. This creates tension. It creates resentment. And it's, it's, it's certainly the focus of what we're going to be looking at here. I mean, it happens with politicians. It happens with acting. It ha- but, but again, you guys know it. Look, I'll, I'll go back to my, my, my kids' junior high years. My son was a receiver, scored a bunch of touchdowns, had a great quarterback. Two other dads thought their dads should be a quarterback. Does this sound familiar to you? Some of you dads out there, some of you moms, does it sound familiar to you? Hey, my son should be the quarterback. I would hear endlessly. I was friends with all three of the dads who had their sons as quarterbacks. And two of the other dads insisted that their son would be a better fit than our quarterback. My son was undefeated two years in a row, won the championship with the quarterback that we had, but it did not stop the competition from the other dads or like my son should be my son should be and you know what we just got used to being switzerland we loved all of them we enjoyed them and again i'm just glad my son wasn't one of the quarterbacks because it was fierce they're all in the same grade seventh eighth grade moved on up it was contentious both of those years 
But again, the results speak for themselves. The quarterback that we had did just fine. That dad has every opportunity to be proud and and, and, and extremely happy. But I can remember this like it was yesterday because it was the bickering. It was the source of so much discontent, rivalries. The, 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 the idea that I'm better than that guy, I should have more of the snaps. I should get the starting position. I should have more of the eyeballs. That is what drives so much of everything in our culture. Your job, you know, be the manager, be the, be, be the project manager, you know, be the, co- the, the, the coordinator. I mean, whatever it is, certainly I've, been, I've experienced it in my career today. We're going to hit it head on. With two comic book titans, one named John Byrne, one named Todd McFarlane. John Byrne had a thing for Todd McFarlane. Now, to those of you who aren't as aware of both these gentlemen, let me let me lay it out for you. I'm gonna do this really quick. John Byrne defined an entire era. He was the hottest thing in the late 70s, all throughout the mid-80s. He had a basically a 10-year run of comic books. Everything he touched turned to gold. His um coming on board. The Uncanny X-Men is covered in many early season one, season two episodes where I walk you through the ramifications of, 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 of his talent. There is no one in my portfolio of original art that I have more pages of than by John Byrne. His Fantastic Four, his Spider-Man, mostly his X-Men. His Superman, his Avengers, mostly his X-Men. This guy was, uh, there, there's, there's a early, maybe maybe season uh, maybe episode one or uh, maybe episode two, three, or four of season one called The Rivalry that defined an era between John Byrne and George Perez, two guys who wanted the same dominance in the market. But because of what John Byrne did on the X-Men, he broke himself out. If you've seen X-Men Days of Future Past, if you've seen uh, X-Men, uh, 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 the, 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 the first reboot one uh, with, with James McAvoy, um, First Class, X-Men First Class, if you've seen X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, if you've seen Apocalypse, or if you, even the early ones, the, the, the first three, the, 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 the one that everyone hates so much, X-Men 3, Last Stand, X-Men 2, X-Men 1, John Byrne's work has been adapted in each one of those movies. He is the most uh, represented artistic influence in each one of those movies. And uh, he was on Time Magazine when he took over Superman. They restarted Superman from number, from, they, 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 they wiped out the numbering and started from scratch and, and, and gave him the giant reboot. He's on the Today Show. He was on uh, the cover of, the, of Time Magazine. He had the run of the place. Now, I could tell you about him and I can tell you about his successes and all his top books. He, uh, for a while, had Marvel's number one book of the decade of, of, of in the direct market with Alpha Flight, which was a Canadian super team because he was from Canada. Who would have thought that the Canadian super team would be Marvel's number one selling book? But it was. And it launched and he, he talks about it often. You know, over 400,000 copies at the time, which was a record because it spun out of his work on X-Men and they were characters that he created. And it was very um, innovative and in and, and the way that he presented it, they weren't always together as a team. That was a lot of solo stories. And then every six or seven issues, they'd come together and have a big team adventure. Alpha Flight was a giant hit uh, from John Byrne. You may not know of it as much as you possibly could because it hasn't hit the cinematic universe yet, but I'm sure it will sooner than later. But again, from Superman, his groundbreaking five-year run on, on Fantastic Four, which many believe is as good, if not uh, equal to the staggering 101 issues that Jack Kirby did alongside Stanley. But his X-Men was transformative. It took the X-Men to the level that they have never left. He took them to the top of the penthouse, which is where they've been ever since. And uh, But he was 
very well aware of his stature. He would talk about himself all the time. I did a, I, I pulled excerpts from a comics journal interview in one of those early, I think rivalry, the rivalry that shaped a, de- a decade episode, and it, and it and it talks about how he saw himself and how he saw how he saw others, and he was very open in in taking shots in that interview, in which I cover. He takes shots at Jim Starlin. He takes shots at Marv Wolfman, g- g- popular writers, popular artists, George Perez, uh, inkers like um, like Bob Layton, other artists, his fellow artists. He was very liberal. But the most important thing that you need to know is how John, Barnes, John Byrne saw himself amongst the fans. And he covers that in the 1981 Art of John Byrne. He was so popular that no less than five years in the business, they gave him his own really slick Art of book, The Art of John Byrne. From uh, Sal Q Productions. Now, here's the deal. He does this lengthy, multi, I mean, it's 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 50-page interview. And uh, in it, he is, uh, let me see who he's interviewing. I've got this in my, this is one of my favorite books, The Art of John Byrne. And again, nothing will change the fact that he's one of my favorite artists, okay? Um, but, uh, in this interview, uh, he describes how the fans received him, and he talks about his own popularity and the fan reception that he received as he was, um, you know, taking the stage alongside other notables, and uh, you know, I'm just getting getting lost in all the great art in in this amazing uh, this amazing edition. And he talks about being on a panel at a convention and how uh, disarming it was, how the people cheered him. And they cheered him more than they cheered Neil Adams. And he's like, I, I, just, I just can't believe how much these people love me. And, and I don't, I don't want to give you my version of this. I want to I want to read it to you right out of how he uh, was 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 speaking about it. So here is where John Byrne describes for us how he is being received by the fans. He says, uh, "As we're doing this interview, we are at the 1979 Chicago Comic Convention. The interviewer says, "How are you dealing with your superstar status, and how are you being received at conventions?" John Byrne says, "This has been very strange." This is the first American convention I've been to since November of 78, so a year. The people are just starting to realize that something special is happening with the X-Men. I was convinced that something was happening with the X-Men, and I've said it all along, that people are, you know, buying the X-Men, and they're they're not buying me. But then I sat on an artist panel yesterday, and they introduced the people that were sitting on the panel. They introduced Dick Giordano, and he got a large round of applause. They introduced Joe Kubert, who is a god to me. And he got a huge round of applause. And then they introduced me. And the whole room went crazy. And I thought, is that coming from me? They didn't say, here's the X-Men. They said, here's John Byrne. So right now I'm riding a very fine line of keeping a grasp on my reality. Or scooting up to Mount Olympus and saying, hey, look at me, everybody. I'm marvelous. And he says, uh, he says, well, a lot of the interviewer says a lot of professionals are up there on um on uh on on Mount Olympus. A lot of professionals are up there. So uh so uh you know, they all look real stupid on the way down. He goes, "Yeah, it really scares me." Um he says uh 
you got to remember, this is the interviewer. He says to John Byrne, you've got to remember the guy in the supermarket knows you just as the guy who's buying the groceries. And John Byrne says, well, that's one of the humbling things. I, I, I'm, I'm a top name in comics. I may be God in comics. And I could walk up to Joe Blow in the street and he'll say, who are you? So uh, just so you know, this is five years into his career. This is how John Byrne saw himself. This is how John Byrne was comfortable. I'm going to tell you something. You can't find an interview with Jim Lee or John, uh, uh, Jim Lee or, or myself or Todd McFarlane who would speak about even as a kid. So I'm 13 years old and I'm reading that for the first time. And I was like, this seems kind of like he's really into himself. And that comics journal interview that I've mentioned when he goes off on his fellow professionals is crazy. Well, I am going through my, uh, now I should tell you, Todd McFarlane, obviously creator of Spawn, Venom, uh, former partner of mine, giant, prolific name, number one selling Spider-Man artist, top selling Spider-Man number one. Uh, Todd is a huge name in the business. His toys, I've done an entire podcast dedicated to the fact that he should have his own statue wherever the Toy Hall of Fame is because Todd changed the toy business more than he ever changed the comic book business, but he couldn't have changed the comic book business if he hadn't impacted, he couldn't have changed the toy business if he hadn't impacted the comic book business. I've also done uh, a bunch of read from Todd's interviews himself. He's a very interesting, um, just, just another interview that I, I'm not bringing to light today, but I was in my research, read yet another Todd interview that I had kind of semi forgotten existed that we'll discuss at a certain point, but he's a very interesting, very keen guy, but Todd would know never to kind of talk about himself in the way that John did right there, which is just, just shot. It just shows a very confident man who is confident telling you that he got the most applause of everybody at a convention and wanted you to know it and and said he may be God in comics and very strange. So there was a magazine that was coming out by our good friends at Wizard Magazine. Uh, not Wizard. It was called Entertainment Retailing. Two giant ERs. ER. I did a few editorials for this magazine as well. John Byrne had an editorial. ER Magazine was a giant. It was the size of like uh, more of a newspaper size. But definitely if you're, uh, when I talk about Treasury Edition comics, it was the size size of a Treasury Edition comic. I was going to say the the size of Life Magazine and half of you will say, what is Life Magazine? But they used to be oversized magazines. This was three times the size of The Wizard. It's giant. It was meant to be, um, you know, a, a retail friendly magazine helping retailers navigate the 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 road to selling comics toys and cards in the 90s it, it was short-lived it I, I think it had a three-year run but during that time it was very interesting and and uh this is entertainment magazine entertainment uh no er entertainment retailing number 11 june 1994 it's got gambit uh on the cover from the fleer uh marvel universe edition it's a painted version i'm not sure who painted it um john Byrne was doing regular editorials at this time. And I stumbled upon this because he, uh, there's a couple others I have with you in, in, in other issues, but this one really caught my attention. And it's the title of it is called reality check. And why in the world that this is um, his subject matter is beyond me. But again, you can hear the pages crinkling. I'm holding this giant uh, treasury size magazine in front of me, reality check by John Byrne. And the photo that it has is the cover to Batman Spawn number one, uh, illustrated by Todd McFarlane. That's the inset, so that tells you what's coming. It says, yesterday I happened to be in Barnes & Noble and perusing the collectibles edition. 
I came across a copy of a book entitled Comic Book Rebels. Again, if I wasn't clear, this is written by John Byrne. This is his editorial. He had a regular column in this entertainment retail magazine. He says, uh, I came across a copy of a book entitled Comic Book Rebels. I flipped through, not looking for anything about me. <laughs> Imagine that. This is the first sentence. He needs you to know that I, I was looking at this book, but not for anything about me. Hilarious. Uh, I'm hardly a rebel. And because I'm right-handed, I start in the back and work forward. As a result, the first entry that I encountered was Todd McFarlane. All right, unfurl that brow. What follows is not a thousand-word tirade against the toddler. Okay, also referred to Todd as the toddler all the time. And, 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 as, early, and as recently as like 2015, he is calling on his own message boards Todd the toddler. It's incredibly demeaning, but, you know, go figure. Now, again, what I told you is taught John Burnett an incredible 10-year run. It started softening his, the heat of his run is 1977 to 1987. And by 87, he'd really, the, 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 it is spectacular. It is a 10-year run to rival anyone, anywhere, anytime. But like everything else, it cools. And then you kind of have to reinvent and reinvent. So just something you should know as I read this. So. All right, and throw that brow. What follows is not a thousand-word tirade against the toddler, demeaning. It is rather some musings on the meaning of the term rebel, and also he's lying. This is a thousand-word column on on Todd. It is. Um, it's some musings on the meaning of the term rebel and how, in the context of the Image Boys, the inclusion dilutes the term. To me, a rebel is much, much more than someone who would do something no one has ever done before which would be the broadest possible interpretation of the word. And I suppose the way in which Todd got on, got into this book about comic book rebels. No, to be a true rebel, I feel one must engage in something in which there is a degree of risk, financial, social, personal. Something has to be laid on the line, John Byrne writes. Consider a few million years ago when Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko, to name just three, set about creating what would be one day called the Marvel Universe. They were definitely rebels. Siegel and Schuster were not rebels when they created Superman. Although no genuine superhero had existed before that point, though most of the trappings were in place, what Siegel and Schuster did was assemble those pieces at the right time in the right place. And in doing so, they weren't going against the flow. Rather, they were going with it. Likewise, Simon and Kirby set about to define everything that makes a comic book what it is today, they were pushing things in the direction in which they were already going. Even the creation of romance comics, seldom attributed, but entirely theirs. They were not rebels. They saw a market and they set about to exploit it. Okay, so right here, have you had enough? I've already had enough, but I'm going to continue. John Byrne is telling us what determines what he believes is a definition that he is using to tear down a former partner and fellow peer of mine. He is making this up as he goes along because he has to move the, the goalposts. Absolutely, Stiegel and Schuster were rebels. To say otherwise is complete horseshit bullshit. Superman is a seminal creation with which that, that everything else followed. You know, he kind of sides, just, just immediately dismisses down here <laughs> when he's talking about Stiegel and Schuster. He says, uh, although no genuine superhero had existed before that point, uh, although... No genuine superhero had existed at that point. He, he wants you to know, like, hey, this super huge thing that happened, it wasn't really a big deal because I need this point to get across. I need Siegel and Schuster not to be rebels to justify this bullshit editorial that I'm going to read to you. 
I need for Jack Kirby and Joe Simon to not be special when they created the most popular patriotic character of all time and space. He is moving goalposts all over here, but but he but he then needs Stan and Jack and Steve to be rebels in order to create the Marvel Universe, which we're going to continue right here. But when Martin Goodman told Stan Lee, again, these are, I'm back to John's words, to create a version of DC's new and astonishingly, astonishingly successful title, Justice League, Lee did something more than simply generate a carbon copy of the JLA. He looked for a different spin on a familiar theme. And with Kirby on Fantastic Four and Ditko on Amazing Spider-Man, he found it. Now, here's the deal. Again, horseshit. The Fantastic Four is very similar to a Kirby title called Challengers of the Unknown. In fact, it's it's more than just the, the eye test um, is very condemning when you put Challengers and Fantastic Four alongside each other. And most people know this. They know that one, provi- you know, preceded the other, but the, the superpower aspect of Fantastic Four certainly, you know, changed it, but, but Jack's involvement in both can't be denied. So again, this is just all sorts of moving the goalposts. He says that uh, they created the anti-hero, a tired and bedraggled term today, he writes. And it was something very new in the world at the time. And he says, uh, uh, in the rebellion, there was a distinct risk because comics at the time were bland and safe and selling well enough for most people. To take familiar superheroes and give them an edge, even a blunt edge, was dangerous. I never really saw the Fantastic Four as rebels, by the way. Spider-Man, certainly. Yeah, a little bit. But not the Fantastic Four, not the Avengers. This doesn't fit this narrative. This is so much garbage. Um, if Stan's gamble had been wrong, Remember, he was warned against the creation of Spider-Man since most people found spiders creepy. Oh, we found the rebel claws right here. He, he did an insect. Uh, there was a book out from Archie called The Fly. Okay, um, there, were, there were bug creatures. There was tarantulas. There was a creature. There was a hero called just the spider, not the Spider-Man. Again, I can poke holes in this all the day because I just know too much. I know too much. This is 1994 he's writing this. He said the Marvel Edge lasted a long time. It took almost 20 years for the House of Ideas to become the House of Idea. In those two decades, the process by which Marvel's rebellious innovations became formula was fairly slow. It increased geometrically, however, so that each slip was worse than the previous until today. The most rebellious thing we can expect from Marvel would be producing a book that doesn't have an X in the title. Meanwhile, though, as the Marvel Revolution dimmed into the same kind of smug self-satisfaction that had brought about the slow decline of DC Comics and led DC in the 60s and 70s into an embarrassing imitator of Marvel. Small fires were springing up in unexpected places, which brings us to some people who really are rebels, Richard and Wendy Peeney. And then he goes on to tell you how ElfQuest is this um, magnificent work, which I'm going to agree it is. And they are, they were making that out of their apartment. And I did an entire dedicated podcast to ElfQuest. Please look it out, look it up, check it out, read it, consume it. It celebrates an incredible fantasy series that you may or may not have known about, but you should check it out. But here he's trying to say that because these two created comic books out of their apartment and published them with their own dollars, because that's really, I'm trying to save you a bunch of time here, uh, that that they are more rebels than anyone else, which, look, I'm going to agree. Wendy and Richard Pena are rebels. Of course, one was really a huge achievement. It's black and white. It's magazine size. They published it themselves out of their own uh, out of their apartment, hiring a printer, uh, distributing it through a distribution network, and watching it grow and grow and grow. Again, I've covered all of this in the Elf Quest, but John is trying to tell you that because of Wendy and and uh, because Wendy Peeney and her husband Richard Peeney created Elf Quest in the '80s, that somehow this 
dilutes Todd McFarlane and Image Comics. And here, it says right here. D- John Byrne says, Wendy and Richard Peeney, he, he sums it up here, right here. In other words, the Peenies put themselves and their product out with no financial safety net and only their personal conviction about what they had was valid to support them. Which brings us to Image and whether or not Todd McFarlane is a rebel. Can you believe all this? Just to get to this, this is insane. You remember, we've moved the goalposts all over the place. Siegel and Schuster are not rebels. You know, Simon and Kirby, not rebels. But, but, but Stan, Jack, and Steve, in being asked to imitate Justice League, were somehow rebels by Mr. John Byrne, formerly the biggest name in comic books. I'm going to tell you something about John in a minute that I discovered researching this. He says, there can be no denying that image was something that no one had ever done before. Well, thank you, John. An imprint which was entirely creator-driven. Marvel and DC had huge fan appeal, and it was largely through the characters and titles. And even the coming of the superstar did little to change this, at least at first. I have been, Eric, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is my favorite sentence. John Byrne says right here, I have been cited wrongly, I believe, he says in parentheses, as the first superstar. Okay, Neil Adams is online too. Neil Adams is online too as the comic book world's first superstar, or maybe you know twenty other names. Okay, but can you believe this? I this I'm this is verbatim, verbatim. I am reading this right after he says, and even the coming of the superstar did little to change this in regards to Marvel and DC selling characters. I have been cited then in parentheses wrongly, I believe, as the first superstar. But it took the not-as-yet-uncanny X-Men to ignite my career. It was my tenure on a cult favorite that propelled me into the heights. And I was lucky that the fan adulation followed me onto other titles. Okay, so John has established that he needs you to know that he was a badass mofo. And he was. And again, my favorite comic book artist ever. I have, again, you need to know as I'm reading this, there is no one whose art I own more of than John Burns. Okay. He says, uh, however, And maybe this entire article was just for him to get to that paragraph. (laughs) I got to read it again. I have been cited wrongly, I believe, as the first superstar. Okay, like I said, Neil Adams, line one. Um, His last two paragraphs go like this. However, there was never, as far as I could see, any risk involved in the creation of Image Comics. The seven founding fathers, six really, since the tragic circumstance prevented Wolf's Protasio from producing his announced title, leading McFarland to declare that Wolf was fired. I'm not sure if that was the case, but I'm reading his words brought a huge war chest built from the royalties they accrued from X-Men and Spider-Man. They cobbled together books which looked exactly like what they had already been doing, which, to use Frank Miller's phrase, looked like Marvels, felt like Marvels, smelt like Marvels, and which were aimed directly at an audience Marvel created for them. The only risk was that they might not actually get as rich as they once did. Maybe only, let's say, two-thirds as rich. That's actually a sentence. Maybe only, let's say, comma, two-thirds as rich, period. There are many rebels in comics, Richard and Wendy with ElfQuest, Frank Miller with Ronan, also Sin City, Art Spiegelman with Mouse. And what makes these true rebellions is that they did not come from the full bellies and soft lives. They come from they came from hunger and a burning desire to fill a space that you need to see, that you need to see filled, even if no one else in the world gives a damn. Okay, so let me tell you something. It says without risk. Without risk. He says that the image founders. We did not experience any risk in our creation of Image Comics. Okay, so 
Just so you know, the reason I've covered this, that Jim Lee was the last on board and he was, and that's, that's why Wildcats was the last book to come out because he was the last to say yes. Jim was very concerned about how he would be ostracized for Marvel Comics. It was a legitimate concern that it took him months to deal with. He was concerned that Marvel, uh, he had a sweet deal with Marvel. He had a big page rate. He had big royalties. And he had, this is something that Todd, he went over with Todd and I again and again, the insurance. He had a baby on the way and he said, I have, a great, I, have great, I have great insurance with Marvel to which Todd and I would say, you're going to be making millions of dollars from your X-Men royalties. You can afford your own great insurance. That was said, you know, a hundred times over. But yes, the royalties were big. My own father came to me and said, son, why are you leaving this great job? I see you're doing so good on X-Force and I see these checks you're getting. They're amazing. And he was right. I was getting seven-figure checks for my work on X-Force and New Mutants. But I said, dad, I'm, I'm just figuring that, you know, to do something on my own, I just need to do 10% of the sales I'm doing at Marvel. None of us thought we were going to do what we did. Again, that is well chronicled. I said, Dad, I think I can sell 100,000 units on my own. And if, and, 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 you know, if I'm getting a dollar a book, you know, I, I'm, I'm 22 years old. I'm going to be great. I'm going I'm to do fine. So I had a confidence in myself. But that doesn't mean there wasn't a risk involved. That doesn't mean that there wasn't risk that we would be blacklisted. That doesn't mean that there was a risk that everybody wanted to see us grind into the pavement. Um, you know, Todd literally said, I, I kind of think that maybe DC would hire us if we fail, but I'm not sure that that's not the case and that we won't be made examples of. You want to know one thing you read again and again and again, and I've been reading through all of these uh, former magazines, Amazing Heroes, a magazine of the time, Wizard, a magazine at the time, Comics Journal, a magazine at the time, Comics Interview, another magazine at the time, uh, Hero Magazine, okay? There is Overstreet Magazine. So there's six or seven of the magazines that we're covering, Comic Book Buyer's Guide, eight magazines covering the comic book industry at the time. And in it, there is... You're going to find someone somewhere on those first couple of years that said, I can't believe these guys are going to pull it off or they're not going to pull it off. I can tell you right now, the, the, the gentleman who was scripting my stories on New Mutants said, you guys aren't going to last one year. He also uh, told that to Mr. Jim Valentino. We had the same experience. There were editors at Marvel that said, you guys are going to implode. You're not going to last. Well, who's laughing now? 30 plus years later. So there was risk involved. And the fact that this um, former superstar in 1994, as his star had faded, and it and it, and it did fade because I can go to uh, the editorial page, the editorial page, not the editorial page, the the uh, the forward of his own Next Men. Next Men uh, was collected together in a handsome hardcover, and in that hardcover, he writes his own forward. And you'd think that in a forward about the Next Men, which was a book that John did on his own with Dark Horse. Uh, right around the time that we did Image Comics and Frank Miller was doing Sin City, you would think in this book that that he would just keep it about the next men, but he he's obsessed with the fact that it didn't sell as well as he had hoped, that that that, that he couldn't believe that he wasn't doing the same numbers and that that our books, you know, seemed to outsell them. He said uh, in like the fifth paragraph of his foreword, he says, there was some grumbling though. The first issue of the next men had only topped 200,000 units. It had become the highest selling direct market book of all time at that time. It was my fourth record breaking first issue in a short amount of time. This is John Byrne writing this. Again, I am reading John Byrne wrote this in 2008 in his IDW hardcover collection. These are his recollections. This is what's on his mind. Again. Even with the grumbling, 
The first issue topped 200,000 units and became the highest selling direct market book up until that time. It was my fourth record-breaking first issue in a relatively short time, beginning with Alpha Flight in the mid-80s and continuing with Man of Steel and Superman. No one knew as Next Men raised the bar for all that followed. That that the bar, the bleachers, the stadium, and most of the surrounding countryside were about to be vaporized by a speculator boom. The next book to break the ceiling that I had established. These, these are his words. The next book to break the ceiling I had established, John Byrne's words, was Youngblood number one, which started with orders similar to Next Men. That's not true. We had initial orders of 650000 And before it shipped, we sold a million. I know. I have the checks. I have the royalties. I own the title. Then it just kept going. He says, we started with the same numbers as Next Men. We were never at 200,000 copies, by the way. So don't, don't try and pull me into your lane. Johnny, we were three times that out the door. But he says here, the next book to break the ceiling I had established was Youngblood number one, which started with the same numbers as Next Men number one and just kept going. And then all the image titles did the same. In fact, the entire face of comic books was changing. And those of us who had labored with small financial rewards for decades, simply because we love comics, we're about to see the industry get a new theme song. It had been written years before by a few alum of the Alberta College of Art, Johnny Mitchell, and it contained one line that would become symbolic of all that followed. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. The rest is just insult upon insult uh, about uh, the sins of image comics. So John Byrne, right there in his own foreword, by 2008, he can't shake it. He's still obsessed with what he sees that image comic, what we did was we replaced him. We were Aaron Rodgers replacing Brett Favre. We were uh, uh, Steve Young replacing Joe Montana. We had our own Super Bowls to win, our own trophies to hoist. And that generation didn't like it. And this is just scratching the surface because the next comic book, uh, the the, the next Observations episode that covers comic book feuds is going to get even crazier. Now, Todd McFarlane, I checked every interview he gave during the time. You know what he says about John Byrne? How much he loved his work? How much of an influence he was on him? How much he influenced the way he drew? How he wanted to get into comics? And that's a theme you're going to find with myself, Jim Lee, everybody. We would say the same word, the same names all over, again, over and over and over. John Byrne, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, Howard Chaikin, Jim Starlin. We were influenced by these guys. These were our favorites, Art Adams. But John Byrne took umbrage with us. And... He would continue, again, what, 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 did he, what did he start out in this first sentence? He called Todd the toddler, the toddler. Um, people ask me all the time because I do the Todd McFarlane imitation if I have a beef with Todd. No, I have mad respect for Todd. Um, I have watched him evolve and change and change his outlook and his, his approach. Um, I wish he drew more comics. I spent a week with his Spider-Man run, amazed, blown away all over again. Blown away. Um, I'm not as fond of Spawn the first 12 issues as I am of his Spider-Man work. I liked what he did. Spider-Man was a huge achievement. It it was a challenge. He created a fresh perspective on a character that, in my opinion, had become tired by 1986, 85, right before Todd took over. Late 87, 88, 89. Todd transformed a character that had been established. I think what he did with Spawn was interesting. Um, It's certainly an achievement, but then he stops drawing. He stops drawing, what is it? You know, maybe he did 12 full issues because there's a couple in the middle that he didn't do. Maybe he did 14. And then he hasn't really drawn a comic book ever since. And Todd's approach to drawing the page, designing it, laying it out, what he focused on, his storytelling was what made him so unique. And we haven't gotten that in a long time. And I miss that. I wish 
that that would happen. Not not layouts by another artist, not layouts by Angel Angel Medina or 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 you know Greg Capullo or, or whoever he works over. That the true Todd, the one that stood above the rest. So I'm a huge fan. I did a dedicated podcast, like I said. The guy deserves an award. He transformed the world of toys. And if you want to know how, listen to that podcast. It is incredibly detailed how he challenged the toy market and changed them by just spending a few pennies more per action figure. A few pennies more. That's all it took. And and he's the one who told us about it. And it happened. Uh, but Todd doesn't do anything but praise John Byrne. But boy, we are a thorn in his side. The greatest artist of the generation before us the most successful guy. And as he told you in New Mutants, I broke it all these, I'm sorry, as he told you in the forward, the next men, not New Mutants. As he tells you, he broke all these records. And then, uh, Youngblood, Youngblood, um, an image. And he just grouses and grouses. And we, you know, we were the parking lot. And, and, and he was paradise. If you follow the, uh, the, the intimation that he's giving you regarding the Johnny Mitchell song. Going further, like I said, in 2015, he is uh, roasting Todd. He's roasting him. And uh, he's on his message boards, and he just can't get off, you know, the subject. And so much so that here's something he wrote. And he says, uh, he writes, allow me to beat a dead horse here for a moment. This is 2010. As noted elsewhere, uh, many times, somehow being late with comics has become associated in the minds of some presumably feeble-witted fans with being good. Let me read that again. This is John Byrne. This is his post on his message board 12 years ago. As noted elsewhere, many times somehow being late has become associated in the minds of some, then he, he says in parentheses, presumably feeble-witted fans with being good. So late is good. The books are late because the creative minds involved are growing roses, to use Todd McFarlane's phrase. While books that are not late again, while books that are not late are, again, in the toddler's words, shit out on a monthly basis. Again, let you know that Todd McFarlane is who he's talking to before he downshifts to the toddler. He says, uh, so somehow it is deemed impossible to produce quality work, generations of previous artists and writers notwithstanding and come out on time. All those issues of Fantastic Four, Thor, Avengers, Jack Kirby produced are all shit according to the toddler because they came out when they were supposed to. Supposed to. That, that's not what he's saying at all. But what if we just pretend for a moment that people like Kirby, Steve Ditko, Kurt Swan, Joe Kubert, Carmen Infantino, and what the heck, me, again, he has to work himself in, we're not producing shit. How could it be that their quality came out on time month and month out? And then he's like, here's the math. Here's the, here's the favor. If your book's coming out on July 1st, don't start on June 1st. Start on April 1st or March 1st. Maybe start July 1st of the previous year. It's not witchcraft. It's called being professional. So refers to him repeatedly as the toddler. And this is only 12 years ago. This is, wait, okay. John is all but retired. If you've been following some of his uh, X-Men that he was giving away on free on his, uh, the, the, the X-Men that he was doing for free a, a page a day on his website, I was too. Again, I'm a huge fan. That pretty much I own everything he's ever done. But we threatened him. And in these comic book feuds, you're going to see this is alarming. The next one, this is, you need to listen to this just to prepare yourself for what's coming in the next episode. Comic book feuds are crazy, but this was all about the fact that Todd and Rob and Jim and our generation, there was, let me tell you something. The generation before us 
They were not the first superstars. Neil Adams is more representative of the first superstar or, or freaking Jack Kirby. Let's, you know, we can go even further. So, but, but the fact that John considers himself will, would, would put forth in a written editorial that possibly he was the first is insane. But certainly John Byrne, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, Howard Chaikin, these guys that I've talked to you about numerous times who have given us tremendous comic book memories and, and iconic moments that are translating to film and cartoons and television, streaming. These guys were the first generation, were the generation before us, and they took control. They wrote, they, John Byrne took over. He started drawing, he would only draw what he was writing. He wrote and drew Fantasy Four. he wrote and drew Alpha Flight, he wrote and drew, illustrated Superman, She-Hulk, Namor, West Coast Avengers. Frank Miller wrote and drew Daredevil, he wrote and drew Ronan, he wrote and drew Dark Knight, he did, went back and, and, and uh, you know, wrote and drew the sequel to Dark Knight. He wrote and drew Sin City, Walt Simonson, Thor, Fantastic Four, uh, Star Slammers, currently Ragnarok. Then we, inspired by that, followed in those footsteps. And we did the same. I wrote and drew New Mutants and and, uh, X-Force and Youngblood and Brigade and everything else that followed in Captain America. Todd wrote and drew Spider-Man and Spawn. Jim Lee would write and draw X-Men and Wildcats and so on and so forth. And Eric Larson would write and draw Spider-Man and Savage Dragon and whatever else he's given you. And then afterwards, it, it kind of stopped. There wasn't as many writer-artists. Certainly, they're not working today. You can't really point to a, you know, a generation that followed us. But why do we not resent them in the same way that that generation resents us, writes about us, talks about us, bemoans in 2008 about Youngblood sales replacing his record-breaking Next Men sales? It's because we launched the next generation. We tried. Stephen Platt, Mike Turner, Joe Madiera. No, not Joe Madiera. He did some work for me, but X-Men put him on top. Uh, J. Scott Campbell, Dave Finch, uh, Dan Fraga, Marant Michaels, Brett Booth, all these guys. We launched them. We presented them to you. We wanted you to love them. We would never write grouse, grouse, grouse. And, you know, but also none of them truly overcame, you know, we achieved more than John Byrne. We outsold him. We broke his records. Don't believe me? He'll tell you. He writes about them in his own forewords. Um, I wrote the best-selling work of Stephen Platt's career. Jim Lee, I think, published the best-selling work of J. Scott Campbell's career. Certainly, at some point, Mark Silvestri published some of the most popular work that Mike Turner ever produced. We gave you the next generation. We didn't resent them. We sought them out. We presented them to you. We curated them. We gave them great inkers. Remember at Extreme Studios under one roof, I had some of the best inkers that ever inked comics. I had more of the greatest inkers than any other studio. I had Dan Panosian, dedicated inker, was inking X-Men, top inker at Marvel, comes at Extreme Studios, Art to Bear, who's inking Jim Lee, Wolf's Protasio, Rob Liefeld, comes, inks, Marat, Dan Frega, Anthony Wynn, all these other guys. I gave Norm Ratman, who got an Inker of the Year award a few years back. Inker of the Year. He did his first five years under me. Danny Mickey, one of the most popular inkers of all time, under my roof. John Sabal, Marlo Alquiza, Larry Stucker, Jaime Mendoza. The list goes on and on. They all were under extreme. We, we polished that work. We made it look slick. We, I, I, I started 2022 with the 30th year anniversary of Image Comics. I started telling you about how we changed comic books, how I took my own money and I invested in a computer coloring department with my wife's cousin who was in, you know, 
technical wizard who came out and said, I can put this together for you. I can, I can, I can put this network together for you. I can get you the Macs. I can get you set up. I hired away some artists. I got some colorists. We launched Extreme Color, which then was, which is how we could color 20 books a month. We redefined computer coloring, all of us an image with our uh, elevation of Oli Optics and then having the Oli Optics crews come and work for us like they did it for me and my crew at Extreme, Jim with Wildstorm Color, Brian Haberlin over at Top Cow. We changed the business. We reinvested. So those guys that I'm talking about, we had already invested in giving them the best color, the best inking. We presented them in the best possible way. We put our money where our mouth is so we don't write articles shitting on them, telling you how, how important they're not. They're not rebels. They're not special. Writing out of the blue on your message board, something that he claims, you know, he changed something that was, that Todd was saying. All Todd was saying was that we were trying to make something special. He never said that monthly comics are shit. That is John Byrne twisting that for his own uh, uh, bitter agenda to somehow dent the way you see Todd McFarlane. And trust me, the way you see Rob Liefeld is coming down the road. But the next comic book feud is so much more nasty than the one I just presented to you. But can you believe this entire editorial? Why is Todd McFarlane not a, a rebel? And the name of the article is called Reality Check. Like, hey, get a reality check. You're not a rebel. What you did isn't special. What you achieved isn't special. This no doubt influenced minds at the time. People who had grown up with John Byrne who maybe went, yeah, I'm not going to give those guys a shot. They're, they're cheap artists. They're, 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 they're not special. My, my, my guy, my favorite, my John Byrne, my Jim Starlin, whatever, my guy from that age, you know, he doesn't like them. So maybe I'm not going to like him either. Maybe you're a retailer and John Byrne's Alpha Flight and Fantastic Four and, and, and X-Men were your favorite thing ever. Well, now you're like, my favorite's telling me that these guys aren't special because this is 1994. This is, you know, two years in Image Comics. That he's writing this. And, and trust me, he had been saying all sorts of some things prior. Remember how he describes himself in his own art of book. I am a comic. Maybe I'm a god of comics. Right here, he's in that editorial. I, many have said, I'm the first superstar. What a crock. No, great. You're awesome. Love you. Buy all your work. Have your original art. But come on, man. The reality check is that generation. They absolutely 100% resented so much of what we achieved. And again, he didn't write it about Rob Life. He wrote it about Todd McFarlane. And on that message board, he mentions Todd McFarlane, and he wants to just grouse about him. That generation absolutely resented that we came forward and achieved more and more sales. And again, people said, well, it's just this, it's just this. And then we just keep doing it again and again. New Mutants 100, for instance, sells a million. X-Force sells 5 million. X-Force 2 sells 1.4 million. Youngblood sells a million. Supreme sells a million. Brigade sells a million. In the meantime, John Burns like, why am I not selling more than 200,000? Because that is what the rest of that forward is all about. And if I read you the forward to every book that he published, I went and got them. They're all the same thing. Why I wasn't selling as much. You know, his next editorial and the issue that followed this one is about the same thing. It's about sales. John Byrne was hung up on the fact that he was replacing. It wasn't just him. It was his generation. But he was the leading man. He was the superstar. There's a scene in Babylon, which I highly recommend. It's not for broad audiences. It's raunchy. It has people. Yeah, it's just, it's a very, I loved it. It was a raucous good time. Margot Robbie is on fire. She gives herself completely over to this, you know, amazing role. Brad Pitt is an aging silent movie star. Um, Gene Smart is the gossip columnist that's covering it all in the movie. There's a scene where she and Brad Pitt talk about that the fact that the sun may be setting on his career and how he should view it and that he can't do anything about it. He's being replaced. Being replaced. It's ugly. 
And it doesn't have to happen. With athletes, it's more difficult. They run out of juice. Their bodies break down. Artists, recording artists especially, I mean, you, you, Paul McCartney still produces great music, okay? Don Henley still great music. There are, there are um, great musicians that are aging that are giving you, you know, spectacular tunes still. They can, they can make a good album. Um, you know, so many of my favorites, unfortunately, have passed away. You know, Tom Petty, Prince. Uh, I mean, the, 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 you know, the, once you're gone, you got your music, you got your art, you got your legacy. Drawing comics, making music easier to age through. But this guy is, is symptomatic of a generation that absolutely resented everything that came after it. And we've only scratched the surface and we'll be going further into this in much greater detail on the very next episode of Rob Observation. So I hope you come along for that ride with me because trust me, <laughs> it's going to get a lot more bumpy than what we just experienced. I mean, you want to talk about comic book rivalries, comic book rivalries, rivalries of all uh, types create, cre- you know, just crazy emotions. The, 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 you guys remember the New England Patriots 2017? Uh, uh, you know, 2015, 2016, 2017, uh, Brady goes down, gets injured. You know, Jimmy Giroppolo, uh, Jimmy G steps in, wins a bunch of games. I think he wins four out of five games. Spotlight, oh man, he he could be the guy. He could take he could take uh New England to the next level again. It's somewhere between 2015, 2017, that period. And uh, oh boy, Tom Brady wasn't having that. Ward is, you know, the myth, the the urban legend. Talks to his boss, talks to the man who signs the checks. Robert Kraft says, I'll come back, but you got to get Jimmy G out of here. Boom, Jimmy G is shipped off. And uh, Tom Brady no no longer has the dashing, uh, incredibly handsome, supermodel looking, you know, uh, uh, camera ready, winning quarterback. He was winning just like Tom was winning. Rivalries resentments they create this stir and i'm going to tell you right now what you're going to get in these glimpses of what i'm going to of what i'm going to share with you again come back next time you got to come back it gets it it gets crazier another giant name joins in the fray and uh and 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 makes everything uh that 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 you heard here today that i shared with you again i read line for line john Byrne, his editorial his message boards his foreword we upset the apple cart. We upended things. They did not see us coming. Literally, some of these guys thought like we have the field all to ourselves. We won't be contested. We won't be denied. And and like I said, once once Superman launched and then the the momentum failed to sustain itself, John Burns decade of of, you know, domination was over. From transforming the uh, x-men to a giant run on the avengers to a transformative run on the fantastic four to launching alpha flight to a really cool little um you know stint on hulk and then i've done another dedicated podcast it's called the greatest run you've never heard of because he wasn't allowed to finish it a captain america run that he did that is among everyone's favorite runs still to this day 40 plus years later but Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, we entered the picture. We transformed everything. Yes, we. I can talk about we. I was there. It happened. We, be, we, we got the favor of the editors, the favor of the stores, the retailers, the fans. And, uh, and again, we didn't 
model what they modeled the resentment because we helped launch the next stage it's it's really simple but boy again i'm gonna, i'm just telling you you be here for our next our second show of the year and and we'll continue to connect some more dots and, and i'm going to read you an interview that's just gonna wow throttle you just completely i look i told you i'm coming back 2023 we're strong we got all new stuff no retreads who else has this entertainment retail magazine with this ridiculous editorial by John Byrne? I'll tell you who. Nobody. Nobody. You're getting it from me here. And then, as is the case, people will follow. People will follow, and you'll see this on some other channel soon. Anyway, we do uh, reviews at the end of each and every episode, and I'm about to do one for you. I'm also going to share with you something. Uh, Look, the comics industry is in a weird place, and, and, and it's something we'll get into later on over the next few episodes. Look, I spent a lot of time in comic book stores uh, the last couple weeks, and you know I, I did that episode, and thank you, each and every one of you who went out and, and spent and bought at your, at your comic store. Some comic book stores told me. They contacted me. They said, Rob, your podcast, it got people coming in. They bought more stuff from us. You guys sent me. Uh, DMs, messages on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, telling me how you went to the comic book store, how you spent more, how, how you rose up, and you uh, you supported your store. Because again, like I said, you don't want to live in a world where that clubhouse is not available for you to go to anymore. And they need our support. They still do. It's not just a seasonal thing. Please get in there, support your store. Um, you, you know that they need our collective support and i am just encouraging you and so so thank you very much for participating that was our last that was our last hurrah that was our last episode but this year i am committed to giving you some really feisty shows some feisty shows get that getting after it we've we have shared so much together and there is so much more yet to share and i'm gonna uh look forward to to, to sharing all of that with you but i've been in comic stores i've been in these stores i've been Going around my county, my region, Southern California, Los Angeles, going into different stores, popping my head in. There is one thing that they're all going to agree on. And, and I'm talking now five different retailers, five different retailers in Southern California have all told me, Rob, there is not one single book that is buzzing. There is not one single book that uh, that's putting asses in the seats that getting people that's getting people to come in regularly. Uh, not a single one. And, and, and so th- this is almost all of December because, because we, we broke bread and said our goodbyes early in December and, and three plus weeks have gone by. And, and I'm telling you a lot of new releases and retailers just telling me no matter the publisher, no matter, you know, whether it's boom image, Marvel, DC, dark horse, nothing. There's not a, there's not an, a comic book, a series, a character that people are buzzing about. And that, that will open the door for greater discussion to come in the weeks ahead. But I'm aware of it. I know it. And you know I love this medium like nobody else, man. I love it like you have no idea. It is my passion. It is my life, really, truly. You, um, so we'll, 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 we'll be diving into that real, real, real soon. Look, here's the deal. At the end of every episode, I read your reviews. Some of them are so fun. I've got a fun one for you guys today. This one's really interesting. It's really um. I just it's it's brief, but it's to the point, and I appreciate you guys. Uh, whenever you leave these reviews, they help us. We're getting back, we're back on the air, we're back with regular episodes. Uh, I appreciate the word of mouth. I appreciate the sharing so much. You so much of of what's going on is you guys sharing and telling your friends and telling your stores. And I, I just thank you so much. Our 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 um 
Our numbers are increasing. Our spread is incredible. The downloads are off the charts. And I just want to thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, again, this is, I do this for you guys. I, I've thought about abandoning the show so many times um, because it takes a lot out of me. It takes a lot. And when, what I've done these last three weeks is I have researched just the crap out of all these new episodes. And uh, like I said, that entertainment retail magazine, who's got those not, you know, lying around who's going to read all these crazy editorials that 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 uh, deranged uh, uh, a seemingly uh, in my humble opinion you know deranged uh uh crazy former cartoonist is is uh you know who, who lost his way is writing these editorials about my peers my friends uh so here's a review i'm gonna share this with you and when you leave these they, they help us stand out on the platform they really help us and i appreciate it so much that you guys take the time I'm just going to call this guy JRG8. There's a whole bunch of other names, but that, that JRG8 left this uh, right after the last episode. He gave, a, he gave us five stars. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the five stars. Thank you so much. Can't, cannot even tell you how much I appreciate that. No one makes you, there's no gun to your head. Thank you so much for giving us five, store, five stars. Um, it's... Uh, he says, why did I hate this man? That's the, that's the title of this review. Why did I hate this man? He said, I avoided this podcast because I was petty and super critical of Rob Liefeld's Captain America. But upon listening, I realized that I was wrong. I realized I was critical because he has accomplished more than I have in the industry that is cutthroat and I have yet to break into. I respect him more than ever. And this podcast is worth a listen if you love comics and you love comic book history. I am now a Liefeld respecter and a fan. And then all in caps and no less than four exclamation points. All in caps. He ends it with all in caps. Listen to this podcast. Why did I hate this man? I'm gonna say, this is so fun. I'm going to read it again. I avoided this podcast because I was petty and super critical of Rob Liefeld's Captain America. But upon listening, I realized that I was wrong. I realized I was critical because he has accomplished more than I have in an industry that is cutthroat and I have yet to break into. I respect him more than ever. And this podcast is worth a listen. If you love comics and comic history, I am now a Liefeld respecter and fan. All caps. Listen to this podcast for exclamation points. Hey, JRG8. Thank you. I, uh, that's, that's amazing. And I am so happy. I'm so happy that you are enjoying the podcast. First, foremost, and always, uh, again, I, I, I sit in front of this microphone and uh, spill my guts about the industry out in, in hopes that it'll help make people more informed. Again, I, I don't even know if maybe it won't make you smarter, but it'll make you more informed. And maybe more informed is smart. I don't know. But again, I am bringing these damn receipts. I am giving you times, dates, places, people. And, and it gives you an expansion of how the industry was formed. And this rivalries, this, uh, this, this, these comic book feuds, and I've done other comic book feuds, but, but this really paints a picture of the resentment that was going on uh, against my entire peer group. Uh, the next one is not just isolated to Todd McFarlane. Ooh, boy, you, you, you know that I wish I could roll right into it right now, but I'm going to be back. What is it? If this is on Tuesday, I'll be back in a couple of days. And if and you hang with me, and and, and you will be so excited to get part two. <clears throat> Thank you.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for your, your reviews. I enjoy all of the ways that you guys in, interact with me. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter. I am still at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D on the Twitter, okay? Twitter seems fine to me. I am not a pro, uh, uh, not not a negative. I just I can't stand all the all the unnecessary um, just uh, gaslighting people do about the platform. It's It works. I can still talk to you. You can talk to me. That blue check thing is still, you know, interesting, but it's there to verify and I'm still verified. I'm a verified account. The blue check will tell you that you are really talking to me for as long as it matters. And I guess right now, who knows, but, but I have the blue check. It's me. I love reading your messages, your interactions, uh, your, your DMs. Thank you so much for talking to me on Twitter. I have such a blast interacting with all of you and sharing ideas and loves of comics and movies and shows. And thanks. Thanks for reaching out. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. My crazy, uh, photo journal of my life is, is on Instagram. Maybe you'll see a drawing. Maybe you'll see my dog. Maybe you'll see my kids, my family, my wife, my, you know, whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm traveling to follow me on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld also blue checked. So, you know, it's really me. I say that so that you don't get scammed. Trust me, so many of, uh, you know, way bigger names are getting scammed, but I've seen people try and scam through me. I'm Rob Liefeld's. They have my picture and they have my name in their, you know, thing. And they are, they contact people saying, I'm a Rob Liefeld surrogate. And I would like for you to give money to this, whatever. That's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm never asking you for money. That's how you know it's me. I'm the blue check. The blue check, the real the real guy on Twitter, on Instagram. Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Robert Liefeld on Twitter. You guys, I am all over Whatnot. Whatnot is an app, a collectible app. It has sports memorabilia. Uh, it has manga. You know, there's toys. It has Funko Pop. It has magic. It has Pokemon. Uh, it's got everything. It's got clothes. It's got kicks, sneakers, shirts, the whole thing. I am Rob Liefeld on Whatnot, my channel, and I do live feeds and I'm getting back into it. Now that we're back into a new year, I'm back, I'm back up. We generally, uh, I will notify if you follow me, Rob Liefeld on Whatnot, that app, you download it. It's um, live auctions, sales. We offer exclusive, customized, uh, signed comics, exclusive comics. We have exclusive Deadpool, New Mutants, uh, Spider-Man Brigade comics in just our first few months on there that we, we, we've partnered with whatnot and given you variants that we only sell and share to you um, from that channel. Uh, there's original art, signed toys, signed Funkos. That's what I do on my channel. I invite you to follow along with me, get an account and, and, and partake. I share all of this stuff, art, toys, Funkos, exclusive comics, custom comics on this channel. So follow me over at whatnot. It's a great way to... Um, get all sorts of fun new collectible stuff comics art like i said so i am rob liefeld on whatnot i hope to see you on one of my live stream shows it's so fun interacting with you guys when i'm on i'm not just putting a book on and you don't see my face you see me i am talking to you for two hours three hours whatever however long we go and uh a lot of people have said it's like an extension of this podcast because i tell stories i interact with you it's fun um i hope to see you on what night um um, rob liefeld over on whatnot on facebook on Facebook, I have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld. Now I've changed the name. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond is my group on Facebook. Come find us. We are sharing art, comics, um, old and new. There's 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 art contests that we run. 
uh, just all, all manner of interactions with anything that I've created, anything I've worked on. You know, I didn't create Wolverine, but I worked on Wolverine. Uh, the Shield from Archie, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, you know, my Avengers run, all that stuff. Hawk and Dove, we talk about all of it. Um, it's a great it's a great community. It's, it's a really great group. We take good care of each other, and we would love to see you over there. Myself or an administrator, another moderator named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you in. There's only two of us. We are the moderators. We are the administrators. We'll let you in the group. And so that's how you know you're there. Uh, that, that's how you know at the right Rob Liefeld group. This is the one uh, that I that I started along with my good friend Terry. And we can uh, see you guys over there on Facebook. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Look to see you there over on Facebook where we can hang and continue all this great discussion. Since the beginning of this podcast, I end it by wishing you all the best. And wishing you good health, which is emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. Uh, mental, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. Those are the four quadrants, man. You got to feed them all. I've been doing a lot of it in this time off. I hope you did too. I hope you were able to do that in between your job with your time off, your vacations, your travels, whatever you did with your family. I'm, I'm just wishing you all the best. I want everyone to do well uh, and uh, you know, be the best that they can possibly be. But that also means chilling out, having a good time, laughing with your girlfriend, your wife, uh, your fellas, you know, your family, reading a good comic book. That's what I do. Got my bean bags, got my omnibuses, got my trade paperbacks, got my singles, got my comics, uh, got my artboard, drawing, whatever, whatever takes you to escape. You know, my wife, we're both rereading books. We both, it dawned on us that we we're both rereading books that we bought in 1998, consuming uh, books that we had enjoyed so much and going back over them and sharing anecdotes and different chapters and Mine's an entertainment book. Hers is a political book. It's great. It's so fun. And you know what? Again, it just stimulates, but it takes us away. It takes us away from our regular responsibilities. I hope that you are doing that with a great uh, cupcake, donut, bowl of ice cream, gelato, bag of chips, <laughs> hamburger, taco, enchilada, pizza, pasta, whatever. Whatever's your pleasure. You got you to have some fun with the food. It's such a great time to have food. F- food has come so long. Food has food has come such a long way. I mean, it's 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 amazing. So my wish for you is to get that chill out time, that time to escape, read that book, that comic, that streaming show, whatever, and uh, and do it with a loved one or share it with a friend, whatever. Uh, this is my fist bump to you through the microphone. Thank you for hanging out with us. We're back. We're coming at you regularly. This is going to be a fun ride. Do not. Do not forget to swing back around. My cul-de-sac, I'll be here waiting for you. We most certainly, absolutely, inevitably are talking again real soon.